Today's show is sponsored by our friends at orcacoolers.com. And what better way to make other dads jealous than to have something from Orca while you're at the pool, you're at the lake, whatever you're doing, you're at a barbecue and they see one of those whiskey barrel tumblers or another tumbler they have. They have awesome tumblers there. They keep your drinks cold or hot for a long period of time, as well as their roto molded coolers, which y'all know. They're bear proof. You could put ice in there for days. I mean days, like actual ice, not like those big blocks of fake ice. I'm talking about real ice cubes. You could put it in there three, four, five days later, you still have ice in that cooler. Go to orcacoolers.com, use code DADSEASON, that's D-A-D-S-E-A-S-O-N, and you will get 20% off of your order. Today's show is also sponsored by our friends at distilleryproducts.com. And if you are a whiskey group, you are a store or a distillery, and you need wholesale laser etched glassware products, as well as some other cool swag, head on over to distilleryproducts.com. Feel free to reach out to me. I would love to get you in touch with the good folks at distilleryproducts.com. That's Carson, Janie, Vicky, and all the folks over there. It is a family-owned and operated business. They're great people. Check them out at distilleryproducts.com. And last but not least, today's show is also sponsored by our friends at action247.com. If you want action, get in on the action with action247.com. And you got to get in now because the NBA finals are like the last huge thing before football comes. And it's almost here. But the NBA Finals, it is the Phoenix Suns versus the Milwaukee Bucks. The Suns are up one nothing. NHL just ended. There's golf going on. There's also the 2020 Euro and Wimbledon. There's a bunch of sports to get in on. If you use code DADS100, they will match up to $400 of your first deposit. It's a win-win. Check it out. Go to action247.com. Use code DADS100. Zeke, you ready to do a cold open? You got one for me? <laughs> Nope, he's not ready. <laughs> he's not ready because he's on mute. He put himself on mute and then didn't take himself off mute. I must be going to unplug the mic real quick. Sorry. You got anything? I mean, I'm going to leave this whole thing in there now because this is gold. <laughs> Clearly, 10 minutes is, is not my ideal nap time, 15 to 20 is. But no, I'm a little groggy coming out of uh, my, my fog right now. Will you just stay there and sip out of your sippy cup and we'll get to you in a second there, buddy. hello hello everyone my name is john edwards and with me as always is zeke baker and together we make the dad's drink of bourbon wherever you are whatever time it is thank you for making us a part of your day it is a very, very special day, Zeke. We have been waiting for this day a long time. We all know each other. I've done stuff with one of these guests for the Tennessee Guild multiple times. We've picked barrels together. I think between the two of us, Zeke, we have picked, I'm willing to go out on a limb and say this, we have picked more Jack Daniels barrels than any other podcast I know. And we are very excited to have master distiller Chris Fletcher and Alexi Phillips, assistant master distiller from Jack Daniels, right down the street, an hour down the road in Lynchburg, Tennessee. Welcome, both of you. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Both of you jinx. <laughs> <laughs> 
And you all have been in your roles now for a little bit. The new car smell has worn off. Yeah, yeah that's a good way to put it. I, I started in October 1st. So, you know, about, about nine months in. And, um, you know, it's certainly been an interesting year to transition in a lot of levels of, of life, you know, with a new baby at home and a new job. And so all these different things and, and a pandemic going on as well. So it's certainly been not as I would have probably anticipated if you had asked me what that transition may look like at some point in my future, God willing. But nonetheless, um, you know, I couldn't be more excited. I couldn't be more excited, you know, to have Lexi and our, our team of folks in Lynchburg, you know, doing what we do. Just, just the broader state of American whiskey continues to grow. It continues to enjoy this this boom, this renaissance, and, and let's hope it keeps rolling. Lexi, what about you? What's it been like for you know the pack? Because I think they announced you same time as Chris, or literally within a week or something, right? Yeah, I actually came into the role in November, so about a month later. Just speaking to what Chris said too. I mean, coming into it in the middle of a pandemic, it has been. Uh, I'll say nothing like I think the true job really is. So it's kind of been a blessing as to really getting more used to doing podcasts and interviews and being the brand ambassador. I think there's still a lot ahead of me that I haven't seen yet. So I'm pretty excited about it. And it is funny that you mentioned the podcast thing. I will get back to that. I promise you. But (laughs) for those of you that don't know Chris, and you all should, he is the grandson of former master distiller Frank Bobo. You started in 2001 as a tour guide part-time while you were in college. You were an assistant master distiller for six years, went off after college, did some work at Brown Foreman for a long time. I think I might have talked to Jeff Arnett and it was a situation where you were like the Josh McDaniels and he was Bill Belichick and you were going to (laughs) get the head coaching position at some point. There was no other person. I mean, having it in your blood, it had to be for the Jack Daniels team. You couldn't be going off to Denver and coaching there and and not being at Jack Daniels. I mean, it's in your blood. Well, you know, it is special to me, John. You're, you're right. And, you know, with my granddad being our distiller, you know, you know, he started working at the distillery in 1957, working in the, in the distillery, cooking mash, operating the stills, um, you know, all the things that, you know, Lexi has been doing, you know, hands on every single day, you know, up until last November when she came into this role. I would be lying if, if I didn't tell you that there's an extra sense of pride uh, in what we all do together at Jack Daniels. And, you know, every day I go to work in the hollow and I pull in and I sit at that desk in that office, my grandfather's desk in his old office, you know, I couldn't be you know more proud and honored, you know, to be in this role, but, you know, I'll be the first to tell you, it really takes our entire team. When you look at what we get done in Lynchburg, uh, single source operation, you know, every drop of whiskey is distilled, aged right, right there, right here. We have some of the best people beginning to end in the process. And so, you know, some of the things that, you know, I think you want to talk about later on, some of the products and, you know, the Tennessee tasters and the experimental stuff and some of the special releases, all of that stuff just speaks to the capability of our distillery and our team at the distillery, the people. That's what makes me the most excited about this role. Sure, I'm honored. It is so special to be in the same office that my granddad was in for, you know, 30 something years. 
Um, but at the end of the day, it's all about making whiskey the way we can in Lynchburg. And, you know, that's, that's the most, most important thing for me. Well, you got to have good offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. I mean, it, it's like a whole <laughs> football team down there. Lexi, you went from being one of the position coaches to actually having like the whole offensive coordinator position. What's that been like the change and actually kind of work in the stills more to probably more coordinating other people that were doing stuff for you now. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, definitely been quite the change, you know, no more uh, cleaning out silos or pumping up our yeast mash cooker or anything like that. But, um, you know, I, I still miss it a lot, but I'm um, believe me, I still f- spend my share amount of time over there. So even though it's been a change, it has been a lot you know, really working with the people that I've worked with the last six, seven years, you know, we really developed a respect for each other years ago. So it's, it's something we're all very proud of. I think it's funny. I mean, everybody that you talk to, and we all know Jeff very well, and he was quality control. Chris, you understand the whole logistics supply chain. Lexi, you were quality control and distillery operations. Is that the key to progressing at Jack at a certain point? You kind of have to know how to make it better, how to make it run efficient. You know, I think it definitely helps to see all different aspects of the process. Several people have asked, like, how do you even come into this role? Like, what schooling do you need? Or what do you really, how do you train to be an assistant distiller or a master distiller? I think it's more of something that's a passion for what we do. That's at least how I feel about it. You know, I think being in quality control and seeing all the hoops that our whiskey jumps through and knowing that, you know, it's still a process that we're carrying on for over 150 years and all the people that work at the steel house, I mean, they feel that in their veins too. I think that's just one of the most important things is the passion of what we do. I'm going to take a little break. I don't know if you guys saw this. Uh, we recently just picked this one. And if you could see it, they stuck my face on the sticker and put it on Goose's body. It's a good look for you. Yeah. When we, <laughs> when we were at the pick, Goose was talking about how he was going to retire soon. <laughs> I always love talking to Goose, but one of the things that makes Jack so special is you have the folks like Goose and Randall and all the folks that are hanging around the the Squire house. And you know, you might get a pick with Lexi. You might get a pick with Chris. You might get a pick with Goose or Randall. And Randall will sit there and tell you about the one time his first week at Jack Daniels where he was drinking wild turkey at a bar and somebody called him on it. And he never <laughs> drank anything other than Jack Daniels ever again in his life. And <laughs> We were lucky enough to to do this pick, but I mean, it, this sticker, yes, Zeke was goofing on me when he did it, but it is a testament to all the people that are around Jack. Talk a little bit about that, Chris. You were touching on it, but it's just a different feel when you go to Lynchburg than when you go to any other distillery. You know, it really is, Sean. Uh, you know, and I, I've been lucky enough to work in many, many different distilleries, you know, across, you know, bourbon whiskey and and really across, you know, Canadian whiskeys and, and even tequilas and all kinds of different distilleries. But there's something unique about Lynchburg and about Jack Daniels and what we do. Um, when you think about how popular it's become, it's 170 different countries now that, that our product's going to. We're pretty sure it's even in countries that it's not actually exported in. It's finding its way in there somehow, somewhere or the other. Uh, we won't get into that. That's a different show. Um, 
but if you stop and pause for a minute and like Lexi mentioned, you know, one of the new things for her is, you know, doing things like this and being able to talk to you guys. But, you know, typically non-COVID, you know, we're able to travel a little bit and visit the world and meet people that love Jack Daniels and love our brand. They love our whiskey and they connect to it and, and they connect to it, you know, in many different ways. But at kind of at the core, I think of that is this authenticity of this whiskey that's made in one little tiny town in Tennessee. It's only ever been made in one little tiny town in Tennessee. And we have some of the same families working today that they can track generations before them. Even back when Jack Daniel was still alive, they had family members working at the distillery. And so, you know, when you think about that, when you think about, you know, a town Lynchburg right now, 600, maybe 700 people in the city of Lynchburg, producing that product that is being enjoyed, you know, people that love our brand all over the world, people take a lot of pride in that. And and people go to work every single day carrying their family with them and carrying on that tradition of making whiskey the way we we do. And that's when, as the distiller, you're really lucky, right? You can just pinch yourself because you know that the quality of our product is ingrained in every part of the process. And and that's really, you know, the, the, the second thing operationally that, that Jack Daniels has such an advantage of, you know, back when American whiskey, you know, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, um, really a lot of the 90s, you know, American whiskey was not enjoying this growth that we have now. Um, in fact, it struggled um, to even survive. You had, you know, countless distilleries, you know, really scale back and, and, and lay off employees and a lot of them even closed. Um, you know, it really, you know, bourbons and American whiskeys were, were not the, the order of the day. And for whatever reason, you know, our brand with Jack Daniels, not only did we sustain, um, we actually started to grow a little bit. You know, we started to export, you know, some whiskey and, you know, we have, of course, Europe starts to boom. We have Asia start to take off um, as we get through the you know, mid eighties and the nineties. And so that enabled us to then reinvest in our process and to still, you know, have a, have a full-time microbiologist, you know, on staff that is, is growing our yeast up, you know, every single week for our fermentations and to only source number one quality corn and still make all of our charcoal by hand on site, you know, to, you know, needless to say, now we operate two separate cooperages um, that make our, our new oak barrels. So when you think about, kind of the, the last 50 years, really, in a way, it's remarkable that, you know, Jack Daniels was able to continue to invest into the people and in the process of our distillery, um, because that it, it's quite frankly, the greatest advantage that we can enjoy today. And there's about 18 different follow-up questions that I could say from what you just said. And, you know, I could go down the whole rabbit hole and just ask Lexi. <laughs> yeah. But, but I could go down the whole rabbit hole and Chris, you know how much this interests me. I mean, the fact that, you know, Brown Foreman and Jack Daniels have their own cooperage and it just kind of sets things apart. Like you could call down there and just say, Hey, this, we're getting a lot of leakers today. Can y'all fix it? And there's advantages that you all have. And I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole because it's a two hour show on its own. But one thing that I think of is we all know the Mashville, it's 80% corn, 12% barley, 8% rye, because it is the number one whiskey in the whole entire world. You all produce a crap ton of it. How many barrels typically go into a batch, and how do you maintain quality 
across all of the batches knowing that you are doing something on that scale that not everybody else is? I think, um, you know, it's something that we didn't just jump to this size overnight. This is something we slowly grew to over the course of our journey. And I mean, I think that's what really where our quality and our standards grew with our size. And I think that's where um, how we're able to keep that consistency across our batches. Like in a batch of old number seven, there's around 200 barrels that are mingled together in that, that we're looking for a consistent um, color and flavor in there that really resonates with the jacks that you would pick up from across the world. Like Chris had said in this, you know, there's a lot of people involved and everybody's got their job in it. And that's something that we've just grown into, I think. So the first time you ever had Jack, Lexi, I mean, we know Chris was probably, they put it on a finger and put it in his teeth that soothed him as a baby. But, you know, what about you? When was the first time you had Jack and was it Jack neat or was it Jack and Coke? I will say, I think the first time I had Jack was Jack and Coke after I'd turned 21 at a bar. I I think uh, I did not really know the whiskey appreciation at the time. So it was Jack and Coke. But then my mom, she always drank whiskey and water. I quickly transitioned to whiskey and water, Jack and water. So that was, that was my beginning. And then I just turned straight neat. (laughs) I will tell you, and I normally tend to not tell stories about myself because it is about all of you. I used to drink a lot of Jack and ginger and then I had regular Jack neat I forget it was like a year ago and it was so sweet. I was like, is this a finished whiskey? Like, is there, and and it's just, I hadn't had it neat. Once the barrel proof came out, I'm drinking barrel proof neat. I'm drinking gentleman Jack neat. It's not often that I go to old number seven and actually have that in a glass. And I was like, man, what is this? This is, and someone's like, oh, that's Jack. I'm like, really? (laughs) Yeah. John, you know, we do, you know, typically we do tastings, you know, I've done countless tastings and that comment that you, you had, most people, when they have old number seven, it's with a Coke or maybe they take a shot at a bar or whatever the case may be. And hardly ever does somebody pour old number seven neat in a glass and really sit down and, and slow down and, and think about it and, and, and really get the aromas. And it is, I mean, it's such a, a fruity, sweet whiskey, the fruit, the vanilla, the caramel, I mean, it's all there. You know, sometimes for whatever reason, it's easy to forget. This is the number one whiskey in the world. And and people have been drawn to this all over the world with every single different flavor palette. You know, somebody that lives in India or Africa or Tennessee, you know, if they're going to mix a old fashioned cocktail with Jack Daniels, we can all agree that those three old fashions are probably not going to taste the same, but the whiskey that went in it is going to taste almost exactly the same. So there is something about that and that balance of flavor and how good it is right out of the bottle um, that for whatever reason, a lot of people don't think about it. So where's that banana come from? Because I mean, I know the answer to this, but where's that come technically in the process to give that note to the whiskey? The yeast is really something that creates fruity esters in the fermentation. So if you're picking up the bananas or the sweet, soft fruits like apples or pears, that's where uh, the yeast is really showing through and shining for its influence. That banana note, it comes across to me more like like a really ripe, almost overripe 
care. But certainly, you know, I can see banana as well. Isoamyl acetate is that the ester that Lexi was referring to. And so, you know, one of the things in fermentation that happens, um, you know, that yeast is is not only producing the ethanolers, it's, it's producing a range of alcohols, of, of higher alcohols that are all very flavorful. And there's also a lot of just natural organic acid that, that is created as well. Um, and that's going to carry all the way through distillation, all the way through aging the barrels. And, and, and so when you have, you know, acid and alcohol together at different ratios and different mixtures, you're going to create naturally these esters. So yes, to, to echo uh, the absolutely correct answer that Lexi said, the yeast is laying that down. It's kind of laying that blueprint down of flavor that's just going to be built upon during the whole process. Chris can say it in just such a much more eloquent way. <laughs> well, Zeke was very excited. He learned what fusel oils were the other day, and yeah. he, he felt like he was growing up a little bit. You still with us, buddy? Yeah, whatever uh, two-word thing Chris said that started with an A, it's, it's, that's what sealed the deal for it. I, I have no idea what that means. But when he dropped that out and, like, never flinched, like, oh, yeah, that, that was the one-up move. Like, yeah, you just subtly put it out there. <laughs> <laughs> one question that came to mind, especially as you talked about tasters, um, consistency and profile, and also just how small Lynchburg is and, and how much, I guess, employment retention you have inside that small town. How tedious is it to train uh, the, the staff or the employees to become tasters to where they pick out the essential elements that you want across the board, but also the ones you don't want across the board? So I think it's a bit of a progression as you get in the, the taster hierarchy and, and move your way up the ladder there. I have one of those hats, Zeke. I mean, I thought you just had to buy it. It says old number seven field taster. <laughs> <laughs> Field taster or field yeah. I don't know. I thought it said field. Is it field test? I don't know. I know I got one last time I was there. To be honest, I'm not sure either, but I do know that's the number one selling hat at the gift shop. So. <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll speak a little bit um, to the quality panels. It sounds a little bit, you know, of, of an excuse, but it, it's really experience and practice. Um, we will train and kind of follow all of our panelists even after they're trained and we will record their attendance, how frequently they're coming into the quality lab and they're tasting our whiskey. So we're, we're tasting the new make whiskey right off of the still. We're tasting it as it's going through the charcoal melon process. And then we're tasting it a third time right before we enter it into that barrel, right? So three points before it even hits a barrel. Um, and then we have our mature whiskey panel on the other end of things, um, which is, you know, prior to bottling. So typically, we're going to look at that around six months, more or less, uh, up until when we think the whiskey may or may not be ready to bottle. And so we will be looking for specific defects that, that we, you know, could see in there, um, you know, on the, on the new whiskey side, common kind of fermentation variability that you can see. Some of it could be as simple as just a little bit low character, right? Just a little bit not quite as expressive, um, which is one of the really, really tough ones, right? And that's not really considered a defect. But, you know, you can you can get things, um, you know, that has kind of a buttery aroma to it. Um, sometimes you see some of that crop up in the fermentation from time to time. Um, you can get kind of some grassy notes and things. And that, you know, that can even follow through even into the aged whiskey as well. But those are all things we, we actually, you know, put these we, we call them hidden marker samples that we will hide within the set and so when the panelist comes in to taste it's not i think most people think you just kind of walk into 
a barrel house and just crack open a barrel and take a shot. It's not the way it works. <laughs> they go in, they have, you know, the, the sniffer glasses lined up. They're all just labeled generically. Nobody knows what it is, where it's from. And one of those could very well be a marker sample that has a defect that we have put in it intentionally. And we expect that panelist to flag that sample. What we see, you know, kind of over time, over months, right, is the people that come and taste the most frequent are typically the ones that become the most accurate because they are developing that sensory memory and and they're starting to recall those notes. It's just, you know, practice makes perfect, so to speak. You know, the key is, is I would say, walking in there with no preconceived notion. Just take it what it is. Everything is blind. Yeah, I don't know what's what. Let me just sit down and compare it to my reference, compare it to my gold standard. And it, it's not about, do I like it? It's not about, is it good or bad? It's, does it match the standard or does it not match the standard? And if it doesn't match the standard, then tell me why. That's kind of our approach to it. Um, you know, we go to, to great lengths on that to try to, you know, make sure that, that everything rolls consistently. And, and I will tell you, look, in all, in all honesty, uh, we very rarely have a hiccup, um, especially with old number seven. Now, something like single barrel, you know, with each individual barrel being a final batch, and you're not mixing anything together there at all. You know, that's different. You know, you can come into, you know, a batch of barrels and you're like, you know what? I think these need to wait, right? Or these might be fine to mix into number seven, but we don't think that they're quite right for single barrel. Now, something like that could happen that, that that's more frequent, but something, you know, with the consistency of old number seven, you know, we very rarely see a problem. To the, that note you kind of alluded to on runs too, this is something never really thought or observed it until recently, but I wonder, you know, I think most places talk about different, you know, runs, so to speak, in their juice where they have ranges of distillate that for whatever reason, just tend to give off a little bit different of a profile in one direction or the other. Back around October-ish, was able to do a couple of different barrel-proof picks, and then I've had a couple that were picked around the same time. And for whatever reason, I mean, I like Jack Daniels barrel proof is probably more than the next person, just to be honest. But these are some of the sweetest, just, I mean, for 130 proof, easiest drinking things I've seen. And I've wondered, you know, building up to this, like, all right, is this some kind of just complete nuance? Or was there a run, so to speak, of barrels for whatever reason, either the, the way the juice came off the line or the way the wood was to where they were just exceptionally, like, just really damn good. <laughs> It could be even the toasting in the barrel of the barrel when we toasted. It could have been toasted just a little longer. It could have been just a run of whiskey where we did it and there's a little bit more of the fruit notes coming in that are also combining with the barrel, making it a little. There's two barrels that are made the exact same, the exact same day, and they're just going to be really different. So I think it could really be a lot of different factors. And now we can hear the scientific answer of it. <laughs> no, no, I, think, I think you're both right. In fact, Zeke, I think you kind of answered your question a bit. Um, you know, you, 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 there's this time range where you found multiple barrels that have really spoken to you. It, you know, if I just you know, think about how we do barrel proof single barrel, um, we're getting close. You know, single single barrel barrel proof has been around, you know, kind of long enough. We were thinking about that five and six years ago a little bit when we were when we were putting single barrel away because we know all of our single barrels are only going to be aged on top four of our barrel houses. You know, we we know where to go look for our single barrels, right? We know that the, the barrel houses that we like to pull from, and of course, always top floor only. And so, 
typically within each month, we have about three lots or three entry days. When I say lot, that's an entry date to where we put up a certain amount of top four whiskey on those three days. A lot of times in the scheme of things, only one of those will end up as, you know, the one that was used for the barrel proof. So you, very, you very likely could have gotten barrels that are from that same lot. You're still going to have barrel to barrel variation, but for whatever, you know, for whatever it is with your palate that really speaks to you, you, I think you just got into a run. And it's like you said, and I think it's exactly right. Um, I, I think you just probably hit some stuff that, you know, Lexi and I are fortunate enough. We can go taste barrels and go to a barrel house, you know, tomorrow if we want to. And sometimes when we do that, we get on to something. It's like, wow, that is just, that just lights me up. That is just sweet honey, you know, all the things that we talk, we don't really talk about honey barrels at Jack Daniels that often, unless there's really something that just, you know, our eyes get really wide. So, you know, I think you just probably found a, a group of barrels, you know, roughly around that same age point that, you know, it just kind of hits your palate the right way. I always feel like when I do a pick at Jack, there's always going to be one barrel that's super fruity, one barrel that's super oaky, and one barrel that's in the middle. And that's happened eight, nine, ten times when we've gone to pick there. Zeke even has more than me on that. Is that planned? Is that like the type of variance that you're looking for when you're rolling the barrels out for groups to pick? Or is that just sheer coincidence that those are the three different profiles you're getting in your single barrel? It's really just a sheer coincidence. It just shows that each one is such different, you know, tasting three side by side, if you had five side by side, there'd be two that are sweeter and two that are oakier and one in the middle. You know, if you have three, that's just pretty much the, the same way that there's always going to be one that's sweeter and one that more, that's more oaky. We've had some that um, maybe there was two really oaky ones and a sweet one. It's just kind of the luck of the draw on the barrel selections that y'all been in. The last one we went on, you know, the one with me on Goose's body, the first one was super sweet. Zeke was the only one in the room that wanted that one. It was a crusher to him. And then the one we eventually picked, it was that one that is the the blend of the two. It has complex notes. It had just the right amount of oak, but the right amount of sweetness, too, that you're going to sit there, you're going to sip it. And Zeke just wanted to crush the thing. I think the biggest uh, standout to me regarding the sweetness was simply, you know, we mentioned earlier, most folks always throw out the banana, you know, moniker or whatever reference. And these have been super sweet, but not a bit of banana. I mean, just rich, sugary. I mean, I'm a candy kid. I could care less about chocolate, pastries, whatever. If there's a donut or a cupcake, I just want the sugar. And, And that's the way these were. And also the fact that it was off profile enough to not have a bit of banana. I was like, I just want to pour these for every single person I see. Like this is barrel proof whiskey. That is just amazing. And it's Jack and there's no banana. Cause that's the first thing everybody tells you is, well, the banana is a little too much for me. It's a little too sweet or that's not my thing. That, that was where the, the inspiration came from. It was, was just like, wow, like this is just, you know, amazing for a six year barrel proof product. In my opinion, to be honest, that's the fun part, right? That's why we do it. That, that's why we have barrel picks and barrel programs. And that's, that's why we love to have you guys come down and other folks come down and pick barrels because 
our distillery is, is quite frankly, it's the most capable. We have the most you know, power and control over our process of any. Um, and we can create some really amazing and different flavors. Um, and and we have, we've barely even scratched the surface of where we're going. And so, you know, to say that, oh, well, it's just this note or that note, um, as you guys know, you guys have, have, have done this enough and have tasted enough barrels um, to know that. But it is so much fun to, when, when people come down with these preconceived notions and to just see that look in their face when they dig into that first sample. This isn't because they're on and we're not kissing their butts because they're sitting with us. I mean, the Jack Daniels barrel pick is by far one of my favorite experiences in all of whiskey. And I've been lucky enough to you know pick with with Jeff, with Chris, with Randall, with Goose, and no matter who it is, from the master distiller to you know the brand ambassador in the Squire House, they make you their utmost priority, and they're going to sit there and they're going to talk to you about the brand and any questions you have about Jack before you know when you're lucky enough to pick with someone like Chris, and he's sitting there and. You think about what Chris has going on in his day and how many people are trying to reach out to him while he's sitting there telling you the same thing that he tells every group about, well, this is how we make Jack Daniels. This is my story. But every single time you go, they make you feel like you are the most important person in the room. They give you attention. And it's just a testament to the hospitality of Lynchburg. The Jack Barrel program really is just, I mean, and then going to Miss Mary Bobo's after and getting some food. I mean, you can't beat it the whole day. I'm really just there for the fried chicken. The the truth's coming out now. (laughs) Big boy got nothing to do with me. That sweet tea and some fried chicken, I'll go there any day and pick a Jack. Then top anything off. I love how you go down there and, and uh, you go to Miss Mary Bobo's and they're like, has Goose been in yet? No, he didn't come pick up his fried chicken yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's lots of stories about Goose down there. And next, next time you go, you need to go back to the kitchen and ask him for some stories on Goose. You, you'll get some good ones. <laughs> Zeke, we got to get one in now. I'm always ready. I, and actually, I think uh, my last at least somewhat technical question before we can you know ramble other stuff not to create like an in-house competition kind of thing, but we've had Jack Daniels barrel proof at five years or so. And we've had old Forester barrel proof at five years or so. One seems to go down a fair amount smoother. And I will tip my hat to say, I'm asking you guys why you, you seem to win that competition maybe, or maybe not a competition, but <laughs> why does the Jack go down smoother? <laughs> Lexi, you want to take that? Oh, look at him punted to Lexi on this. (laughs) I will say we are, uh, with being in the Tennessee whiskey with our charcoal mellowing process, I think that really definitely adds a smoothness to it. I definitely say being a Tennessee whiskey makes it a little bit smoother, but I mean, to each their own. You know, I I think certainly charcoal mellowing is a piece of it, no doubt. Um, It's just kind of inherently what Jack Daniels should be and what it is. I think, I think. The thing about the brand Jack Daniels is a lot of people just see that black label and square bottle and they have this image of uh, rock and roll or, you know, uh, Western like cowboys or, what, you know, whatever that kind of image is that kind of bleeds over and, it, you know, it, it affects their impression of the liquid before they've tried it. And so, I, you know, I think at its core, 
you know, Jack Daniels should always be approachable, even at, at barrel strength. Now, of course, if you've got 130 proof whiskey in front of you or 80 proof whiskey in front of you, right. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that's apples to apples. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not making more out of this than, than, than what it is. I think it, it just speaks to the spirit, the whiskey that we make and that we distill. And I mean, it is, it's just smooth inherently and, and charcoal mellowing has a lot to do with it. Um, but you know, so does our yeast. So does our barrel, you know, and I would, I would tell you, you know, our barrel houses, we're not cycling, right? We're allowing them to heat and cool naturally with the seasons. They're all metal clad. They're not masonry. You know, they're not, you know, concrete. I mean, there's it's a lot of different things. When you start diving into that process a little deeper, that's going to affect how the whiskey comes across. Now, Old Forester, I love Old Forester. Old Forester has been one of my favorite whiskeys um, since, you know, way back for 20 years. So, um, you know, it is a phenomenal bourbon and uh, love what they do and you know how that comes across to one person's palate you know it's certainly subjective at the end of the day all jack daniels should have that approachable smoothness i didn't want to throw a dig at the 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 other side of the family but you know there's always sibling rivalry right <laughs> yeah you, you know i mean you know, we, and I, you know i lived in, in kentucky for 12 years met my wife there she's from my wife's from louisville kentucky you know home of old forester bourbon uh, so, uh, you know, I, I've got so many great friends there and, and of course, Chris Morris and Jackie and everything that they do with Old Forester. Um, you know, truly, I, I love it. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, of their bourbon. There was no good way for them to answer that. But Chris tried for two minutes. To oh, I give thought he did really answer. good. He did, did very, very well, but I'm saying, like, the fact that you put them in that position, shame on you. Hey, there were some subtle hints in there. You just had to catch them. I caught them. I mean, <laughs> I caught them. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they they were basically saying that they know how to make a more approachable whiskey than the other brands in the Brown Foreman family. They just couldn't come out and say Wait a that. Wait a minute. I don't know about that. And like I said, for the record, we, we do love them both, but, you know, if we had to be stuck with one out of the two, which way we would fall. I think palettes change depending on the season. They change depending on the day. So one day you might go for the old foe. One day you might go for the Jack. And it, it begs a question that I have for both of you. What do you look for? I mean, I, I know, yes, Jack Daniels, you can say that. But now that Jack is expanding their portfolio, and getting maybe some more of that one percent and i say the one percent because that's what people that listen to whiskey podcasts are it is the one percent of the drinking community we do not keep the lights on at the liquor store as much as we want to think we do jack daniels old number seven keeps the lights on at the liquor store along with vodka and tequila but what do you look for you you could have anything in your glass and you don't have to do brands like taste mouthfeel what is it that draws you to whiskey? And we'll start with Lexi. Yeah, I like, um, I do like single barrels that are a little sweeter, uh, but still has some oak, more of the balanced character that definitely has a creamy mouthfeel and at least a mid-length finish. The longer, the better, but I don't go straight oak. Um, I do like a combination of the two. Chris has been up in Kentucky. He already told everybody he cheated on Jack for a while, so... What what is it that you're looking for when you uh, pour something? My grandfather used to say, I never will forget, 
I was talking to him about uh, ordering a cocktail somewhere. I don't know where I was, what city. And, you know, you know we were out with, with people and it was a great cocktail bar. And this this drink had like, I don't know how many different ingredients. It took him about 12 minutes to make it, you know, and, and, and different types of ice and smoke and flames and flowers and fruit. And I don't even know what all it was. But I was telling my granddad about that, you know, thinking he would get a kick out of it. And he looked at me real funny and with not a smile on his face, he said, well, you know, I don't want to have to teach my whiskey to be good. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? And so I've, I've kind of adopted that in, in a lot of ways. And I think the simplest uh, way to, to say that, well, I think it's balance, right? I think it's balance right, right out of the bottle. You know, it's, it's even as a distiller, as a whiskey maker, Look, it's easy to make a whiskey taste like one or two things, guys. You know, that's that's simple. You know, if you want the barrel to just overpower everything, you know, keep it in the hottest spot of your warehouse and keep it in there for years. And eventually that barrel is going to break everything that the distiller actually made. It's going to. Now, it might be, I don't know, 10 years. It might be 20 years. I have no idea. It just depends on the spirit. depends on the barrel, Right. But to me, it needs to be balanced. And, I, you know, it doesn't matter to me if it is a, a scotch whiskey, you know, from Isla or if it is, you know, a, a Kentucky bourbon or a Tennessee whiskey or a whatever. If you can't pick out a little bit of each part of the process, you know, from beginning to end, then the distiller really hasn't done his job or her job of, of making all those flavors work together instead of having one or two dominate. There's so much from that that I'm going to steal and say I learned it from Chris Fletcher, who learned it from Frank Bobo. It's a good story, I think. I love that. The thing I want to talk about, I mean, I'm holding right in my hand. I loved this Jamaican allspice, the the Tennessee taster. It begs the question, I mean, you think about what has been out there, that the one I have right here, the Barrel Proof Rye, I mean, that just came out as the holiday uh, release there's not much that has been able to happen for so long at Jack because it has been pushing out old number seven. And then gentleman Jack was like, Oh wow, we actually have a new offering. And then there's all the other ones. There's the apple, there's the honey, but how much does this mean for you two to actually be able to get in and explore and experiment and try new stuff? And what's been the the greatest things that you all have enjoyed throughout that process of, of the tasters and trying new stuff. I think what, a, what an awesome time to be making whiskey, uh, bottom line. Uh, it couldn't be more fun. You know, I mentioned my granddad started in 1957. Jack Daniels was already on allocation. Old number seven was allocated to every state in the country at that time and stayed on allocation until 1980. So almost his whole career, it was impossible to do anything more. There was no capacity. There was no room. Literally, he was on call 24-7. He would get up at 4.30 in the morning on Christmas Day, go start the still, come home and open Christmas presents with my mom and her sister for Santa Claus on Christmas Day and then go back to the still and finish the day. Of course, thankfully, for a lot of reasons, it's not quite that way now. But through the continued investment you know, into our production and our process, we are able to now do these things at Tennessee Tasters and push the boundaries. And, you know, with Tennessee Tasters, with what we've done with these single barrel special releases, you know, the barrel proof rye, which was just dynamite. 
and, and we're already planning the next ones uh, to continue to push the envelope and, and to keep showing with American whiskey consumers where we can take flavor. And look, the thing is with these, like the Jamaican allspice, that's got a lot of that spicy clove. I mean, you put a few drops of water in that and you can just see the oils just start to just form and rip out of that whiskey. Um, and, and, you know, that's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. We know that. But we are going to continue to push Jack Daniels forward and do these really, hopefully, interesting things and uh, show what we can do as a whole distillery and hopefully people enjoy. So on that, I, I did want to go ahead and throw out the question, you know, I guess, A, whom or, or where does the, the inspiration for these innovation leads come from? And then, you know, possibly anything that you uh, can tease might, that might be coming down the pipeline. I will say that a lot of the uh, innovation ideas, we actually have an innovation council and, you know, it involves just several people from Jack Daniels, a few people from Brown Foreman. We get together and we kind of brainstorm and talk about ideas. You know, we welcome ideas from people at the distillery. And, you know, a lot of times it's just whoever can come up with a good idea. And it sounds good. It sounds like something we'd all like that our research and development also likes. Then we could, uh, we'll definitely move forward with it and try it out. But as for upcoming things, I'll go back to Chris for that. We are available <laughs> for uh, a seat wow. on the council if you need two dads that live nearby. Well, well, Lexi, Lexi's being, being nice. Um, you know, Lexi is coming into this role and, and she's you know taking over the reins of some stuff that we've been working on. Um, really from an agricultural uh, standpoint, her background is in agriculture. We've grown now for a couple of summers some corn right here at the distillery. We've grown over 30 acres each each summer of corn. So we've significant uh, amount of barrels going with some different heirloom corns. Um, we also have partnered with the University of Tennessee to kind of kick the dust off literally of an old heirloom corn that was, you know, basically uh, not discovered, but I guess, you know, typed here in the state back in the 1800s to try to, you know, dust that off and see what we can do with that. So um, with Lexi's background in agriculture, she's driving that ship 100%. Yes, we do have an innovation council. It it does take a village to bring a new product to life. Um, But when it comes to the actual making whiskeys and new making whiskeys, you know, Lexi and I are going to be driving that boat a hundred percent. We we are at the wheel, um, but we do have lots of help for sure. And grain to glass is very important to both of you. I mean, that's, that's what you were alluding to, but. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, again, it, you know, it just gets back to our capability here in Lynchburg. You know, we, from start to finish, once we unload a truck of corn or malt or rye, we are controlling it. Our own employees are controlling that. I mean, we've done, you know, work, you know, with, you know, log sourcing and our log buyers that are out there every day, you know, grading white oak logs, grading the daggum trees. Is this going to be approved for a Jack Daniels barrel or not? Uh, and, and, you know, the, our, our guys out there doing that every day, making sure that we're getting the best wood that we can get. And, you know, it, it just all adds up. Right. We're operating for those stage mills where we're processing those logs in the stage. They're going to air dry, you know, six to ten months uh, out in the open uh, before they'll go into our two cooperages where we're making our barrels you know, every single day. So, you know, all of that gives us the tools and the capability to look at our entire process, you know, from, from growing heirloom corn to, 
you know, sourcing new and interesting types of wood. I mean, the, the Jamaica allspice, you know, we came across that with, you know, with our R&D team who actually found that. And, and we, we were looking at multiple different woods, um, you know, to do, you know, barrel inserts with. And we came across that allspice and, you know, found out that, number one, it's called pimento wood. And I said, well, we can't call it pimento because everybody will think we put cheese in the whiskey in Tennessee. So we can't do that. Um, so, so we switched to, to, to allspice. Thank goodness it's also referred to as allspice. Um, but that's the wood that they use to, to like smoke the jerk chicken in the Caribbean. Um, and so it does have that sweet, smoky, spicy flavor um, that just, you know, especially with a little drop of water, just starts to rip out of that whiskey. And so, you know, yeah, grain to glass. We are pushing each individual thing in different ways. And in the next, you know, year to two to three years, you're going to continue to see more new and interesting things from Jack Daniels. I can't wait to see the Tennessee taster, the Dukes. (laughs) Here's the Dukes version of the Tennessee taster. As we're going through here and and you're thinking about R&D and you, you all have holiday releases and more LTOs that are coming out, if I could plead to the wise council, can we please get 27 maybe at a higher proof? I'd heard that it had been DC'd, at least as it is or was. And, and the question I've always had about that was just simply, uh, at some point we had um, one of the Brown Foreman guys on probably like two years ago now, but he explained to us that because of the, the wood for that barrel being the maple was so porous that they had to wax the entire barrel. So now like every time I'm down there, and luckily I don't think I get the same tour guide, she'd probably not be happy with me, but I'm like, can I go see one of those 27 barrels? I, I just want to see what a barrel looks like completely coated in wax. Like it just blows my mind. Like a, how do you wax a whole barrel? And then B just, how does it just sit there and kind of chill out? But the wax is still there and then the heat, it never melts. I mean, there's a lot of questions going on in my mind that probably don't matter, but it, it's an enigma to me. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Well, it, it is a big challenge. Those maple barrels, because of the porosity and, and there's no tylosis in maple wood. So the white oak has the tylosis in it and maple does not, which is makes it effectively impossible for it to hold liquid long-term, uh, regardless of what you do with it. Obviously then the long-term maple barrel is just not very practical. When we first launched with 27 Gold, um, you know, it was you know, kind of a small niche offering um, kind of focused in the Asia market um, and, and travel retail. And then so as we've kind of grown it and, and, and brought it bigger, pe- people love it. We probably have work to do, you know, as distillers and how to best optimize that, um, you know, moving forward. Because, you know, it does, you know, the maple wood does bring that rich, you know, almost buttery, creamy mouthfeel. So what is a pretty light whiskey? You know, it's, it's an 80 proofer, yet it just has that viscosity and that weight to it. And so there's there could be something down the road, but I, I can promise you there's no immediate decisions right now on that one way or the other. I mean, knowing what I know and having talked to Chris as much as I have, there are so many experiments that are going on daily at Jack that people don't even realize. And, and I'm not even going to make him list them all because it would get everybody excited over things that may or may not happen so you know do you think it would ever be something though where you like the jamaican allspice you would play around with some staves in there rather than actually filling up the whole maple barrel and see if that gets somewhat of 
a similar profile? Yeah, you know, that would be the challenge, right? I mean, that, that would be the homework that we would have to do um, to make sure that we could get the flavor that, that we know everyone would expect because now the expectation is there, right? And, and so, you know, if we couldn't hit that or who's to say we couldn't improve upon it, I don't know. But, you know, certainly the bar has been set for that and the effect of maple wood, you know, on the flavor of our spirit, of our whiskey. Um, and so, you know, we would certainly take that into consideration. I, again, like I said, you know, there, there's not been a decision made one way or the other on that right now. So it's not anything that, that is, is coming, just to be clear. We're getting to the end of this. And, and Chris, you are a dad drinking Tennessee whiskey. And while we are dads drinking bourbon and Tennessee whiskey, it's about time to put our kids to bed. Before we go, I want to ask you both, what is something that you can talk about that you're most excited for that may be coming in the future? We, we've alluded to it before in previous questions, but is there anything that really gets you super excited besides everything we already know, the people, the community, how awesome Jack is just as a place? What is the biggest thing that has you excited for H2 of 2021? Did you say with H2? Yeah, the second half of the year. Oh, half two. Okay. It's been... Well, <laughs> I didn't know. He loves me too. I've heard like Q3, Q4. I haven't heard H2, but okay. Well, we are having the uh, barbecue back in October. So uh, last year we did end up having to take the year off because of COVID. I'm pretty excited about that. That's something that we've I've done since I was a kid. So having them come back in October is pretty exciting. And we get to start traveling again. Those are a few things I'm pretty excited about. Amen for that. Uh, first and foremost, to be able to do more things like this in person. I've been lucky enough the last seven years to be able to travel a little bit. And, uh, you know, I've got friends all over the world now um, because of, you know, this this hometown product right here and the people um, that, that just love it. And, um, you know, it's a really really powerful thing when you don't get to experience that for over a year um you really miss it and you miss those connections over a glass of whiskey not that i don't love talking to you guys like this it's great i, I do love it um but that little that little camera up there at the top of the screen something that we've all had to deal with so i'm certainly looking forward to sharing more glasses in person with friends and buddies all over the world i will say a little more product specific we probably are coming into this fall um we're trying to put the finishing touches on what we think the special release will be this year the holiday release um you know we've we've narrowed it down we've we, we think we're on the right track I think it's going to be dynamite. It's going to really showcase some of the real power and uniqueness in our different barrel houses. Um, So we've really kind of narrowed it down, you know, to that point to allow people to, you know, kind of taste what a very close geographical, you know, um, you know, areas of our houses would be. Um, And it's, it's really a concentrated, I mean, ready to roll single barrel whiskey, we hope. From there, we're going we're gonna to continue to push. You're going to see us continue to push things forward, but while also honoring and paying tribute to the past at Jack Daniels because over 150 years, of course, you know, with my family history, with Lexi's family history, with this distillery that's at the top of our list, we have to do things. It is up to us to, to you know, uphold that tradition of making whiskey here. So, uh, you know, you're going to see us, 
looking forward with a way to to retell our story of Jack Daniels through our past, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. And I think we all feel it even with this podcast, which is not one one hundredth of important as what you all do every day and, and you going out for your brand. I mean, this is just two dads doing this on top of our day-to-day jobs and, and doing stuff with the, the kids. And But I will tell you that there's something about whiskey that is so communal and and so in person and doing this podcast over the past year i can't wait and we have been doing it and i think logistically we just couldn't get down there to do it in person with both of you but we will just something to be said about drinking whiskey with your friends and making new friends because of whiskey and amen to that and can't wait to see you all out on the road can't wait for the barbecue we're both squires so zeke we better get our butts down there for the barbecue and i can't wait to see what both of you do for the next 30 years at jack daniels i mean you're young enough chris you better last until you're 70 because you got in <laughs> yeah. i think that was geared to lexi right there <laughs> know about 30 i don't know about 30 you oh, got yeah. it you got it you got it <laughs> I mean, you could even do that thing. You could be like Jimmy, uh, you know, when all is said and done, you just sit in the Squire house and people could come talk to you. Yeah, you know, um, maybe. You you never know. Hey, hey, as long as I'm uh, happy and healthy, uh, then whatever comes my way is good. I, I won't complain. Well, we thank you both so much for coming on. Go find Jack Daniels. If, if you can't find Jack Daniels on the internet in a store, I don't know what's wrong with you. They're everywhere. Go find a band in Nashville. They're most likely drinking it backstage. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Find us wherever you download your podcast. Chances are you already have because you're listening to us right now. Chris, Lexi, thank you both so much again. Zeke, where else can the folks find us? Uh, you can find me looking for single barrel, barrel proof rye Jack Daniels picks. <laughs> I had to get that out there. People would not be friendly to me. Yeah, if you can help us, like get us up on the list a little bit more. (laughs) If I didn't get that in there, seriously, I'd have been a lot of people's shit list. (laughs) Cheers. Thank you guys so much. Cheers, guys. guys.